At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief population health officer at Baptist Health. Obesity rates have been rising in the United States, with now more than one-third of American adults considered obese. It's not just about being overweight. Obesity can be linked to the development of several chronic diseases. In some cases, bariatric surgery can be an effective tool for weight loss. It's a major surgery not to be approached lightly. In a recent episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program, I spoke with two experts on the realities of bariatric surgery. My guests were Dr. Anthony Gonzalez, Medical Director of Bariatric Surgery at Baptist Health, and Carmen Baresi, a psychotherapist with Community Health and Wellness at Baptist. Let's listen in. Tony, let's, let's hit the ground running. So first, um, before we start getting into bariatric surgery as a treatment option for obesity, let's talk about obesity itself. How do we define obesity? Is it one of those things that it said, you know it when you see it? Are there real definitions for obesity? And the follow-up to that is, why do we care about being obese? What are the consequences uh, of, of being obese? Yeah, so we know what obesity is. And obesity is obviously a lifelong disease. It's progressive, it's costly, it's multifactorial. But the bottom line is obesity is an excessive amount of fat storage. And obesity can be easily measured. And the simplest way that a viewer can measure obesity is by their body mass index, their BMI. And the BMI is a calculation of your weight versus your height. And of course, uh, you know, your weight will vary depending on how tall you are. And there are a multitude of online calculators that can, you could plug in your weight in pounds or in kilograms and um, your height in meters or in inches, and you could figure out your BMI. So obesity can be well-defined. It can be well-classified. Your second question was, what, what are the consequences of obesity and why is it important? Well, obesity will reduce your life expectancy because of the multitude of medical problems that obesity causes. You know, simple ones like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, hyperlipidemia, elevated lipids, heart disease, stroke, heart attacks, increased cancer risk. And obviously that is the importance of obesity in its medical context. Very well said. I know, uh, so the viewers can understand, Dr. Gonzalez and I have these conversations all the time. It's increased energy storage as fat. So um, um, ultimately we get fat and it is fat in our cells, but I just want to make sure that we know that any kind of excess energy could be stored as fat. So, you know, that's my, uh, my cardiovascular uh, two cents. Um, but yes, increased fat storage. Um, Carmen, um, we know that there's been higher rates of obesity. We've seen the trends over the last several decades. Many reasons for that. What are some of the psychosocial triggers that might lead for someone to gain weight, become obese? And um, how can, by recognizing those, trigg those triggers, um, both contribute to obesity when they're ignored, or how can people help themselves um, decrease the risk of obesity? There's multiple factors that contribute to obesity. When we're looking at the external factors and environmental factors, some of the things to keep in mind, eating disorders, medications that are being prescribed to individuals can impact weight. In addition to that, poverty, even though one would think if if populations are malnourished, maybe they, they won't have the obes obesity concern, but actually access to 
diet that's high in sugar, high in fat, and high in calories contributes to obesity and that the increase that we're seeing, as well as lack of sleep. And even decisions like deciding to quitting, quitting the smoking can actually contribute to higher rates of obesity as well. Having a lifestyle that's less mobile can also contribute to gaining weight and obesity. So as you articulate, it's not a lack of willpower. There's many factors that affect someone that might lead them to start depositing weight, uh, depositing energy uh, um, and gaining weight. So now let, let's talk about some of the treatment options back to um, um, Dr. Gonzalez. Tony, so clearly not every overweight person is a candidate for bariatric surgery. Let's talk about this valuable um, tool with a lot of data behind it, supporting the benefit in certain populations. So who would be considered a candidate for bariatric surgery? Yeah, you're exactly right, John. We only deal with those that have extreme weight. And, and um, as we'll talk about bariatric surgery in and of itself, have risk. And so the risk of being at a level of obesity that is life-threatening is when we begin to consider a bariatric surgery. So the guidelines since 1991 um, by the National Institutes of Health are that if your BMI is 35, which is about 75 pounds of weight, and you have diabetes or high blood pressure or sleep apnea, you should be a candidate for bariatric surgery. And if your BMI is 40, which is about 100 pounds of excess weight, no matter whether or not you have medical problems or comorbidities, you're a candidate for bariatric surgery. So as you can see, it's not somebody who's 10 or 20 pounds of weight. It's you know beginning at around 75 pounds of excess weight uh, and really 100 pounds of excess weight is really when we start considering bariatric surgery. When someone comes to you for an assessment of bariatric surgery, which clearly you have the expertise in, um, do they go through a process or do you go through the process with them to look for alternatives? Or at that point, are they generally meeting those criteria for bariatric surgery? What do you find in your experience? Yeah, what we find in our experience is that most patients have actually looked into bariatric surgery for at least two years prior to even coming to see us. Uh, and they have been on multiple diets. Usually the average is about a handful of different type of uh, diet programs and lifestyle modifications. Um, but it, we don't take that for granted. We obviously put the patient through uh, the preoperative medical evaluation. We put them through nutritional counseling preoperatively, uh, psychological evaluation. Uh, and then obviously we have a very robust educational program as part of the preoperative habilitation of our uh, surgical program. And that's a great take-home point, and I appreciate that. It's not just, I need surgery, sure, I'll do the surgery. It's a holistic approach to the patient, optimizing their state before it gets to the point where, okay, now we feel surgery is a good option for you. Um, so again, appreciate no, that. No doubt about that. Surgery in and of itself is not going to solve the problem. It's a lifestyle change, and, and obviously we have to put the patient's mind in the, rec, in the correct uh, location. Um, we know, Carmen, that... Um, with bariatric surgery, there's a lot of emotional changes that come into the patient um, uh, condition. Can you speak a little bit about that? What's the expected emotional results that you see uh, in patients who undergo successful bariatric surgery? Definitely. This decision can be very life-changing. And just like any changes in, in our life, our body responds to that with different emotions. And really, when we look at the process, it's a way of us reacting and responding to the physical changes that are taking place in our body post-surgery. So there's hormonal differences and changes that are occurring that can contribute to maybe individuals feeling a little bit more anxious or a little bit more sad. In addition to that, there's 
a, a new sense of attention that can warrant someone to feel maybe uncomfortable or not not accustomed to that reaction from others in from others and that can prompt someone to maybe want to isolate or not feel as comfortable in social situations so it's important to keep that in mind as you as you kind of go into this journey and also take it um, with with this approach of a time for self-discovery. So it's a it's a change and how can you welcome that and embrace it? In addition to that, someone may be feeling excited from the for this opportunity. And like Dr. Gonzalez mentioned, sometimes it's not a decision that happens rapidly, but rather takes time to really commit and, and make the decision. So in that in that planning phase and that time where you kind of go from the contemplation to the action phase, we see that in therapy as well. So it's kind of going along with that process and really identifying what are the emotions that you're feeling and what are the, what's the purpose and being aware of the changes, not only of your body, but also how you're reacting and acting to those changes. So patients obese, they've obviously been dealing with the consequences of that physically and emotionally for many years. They have other medical issues. They wind up having bariatric surgery, expected significant improvement in their weight and their quality of life, et cetera. And we'll get into that a little bit. Do you uh, personally, or do we recommend or see a lot of these post-bariatric patients continue uh, to be cared for, for those post-operative um, post emotional type of um, support that we're talking about might be necessary? There are support groups available that, and we definitely encourage individuals to seek support and even professional help. Um, there are pro there are processes that are in place to be able to link patients to continue services, like Dr. Gonzalez mentioned, a nutrition consultant. In addition to that, um, seeking professional help is one avenue to take, but also journaling, keeping track and monitoring. And, and again, going back to that self-discovery, so paying attention to where you're at in that moment and going through that journey with your own thoughts and emotions can be helpful. But definitely a recommendation is to seek out support and the, the impact and importance of support groups that are available. So now, Tony, let's talk about bariatric surgery itself. If you could take us a little bit through what is bariatric surgery, maybe a little bit of the history, what are the advancements in bariatric surgery? Um, you know, take us through a little bit of, uh, of, of the history of bariatric surgery and its, to its present state. Yeah. So bariatric surgery has been around in our country for over 50 years. It was uh, really stumbled upon uh, on patients who had to have surgery for either gastric cancer or uh, gastric ulcers. And they saw that those patients had a difficulty in maintaining their weight. Um, so in 1967, uh, the first gastric bypass was performed in our country. And that operation obviously was not done with the technological advantages that we have today. Um, and what bariatric surgery does is, is try to modify your eating behavior so that you will lose weight in the first year's time. And eating behavior can be defined or categorized as quantity of food or quality of food. So there are bariatric procedures like the laparoscopic adjustable band or the sleeve gastrectomy that control quantity of food, but not quality of food. And then there are operations like the gastric bypass that control quantity and quality of food. And of course, in the last 20, what, seven years that I've been doing bariatric surgery, we've gone from uh, open bariatric surgery with a big open incision and, and six, seven days in the hospital. Uh, we progressed through laparoscopic bariatric surgery, which is minimally invasive surgery, uh, working on two-dimensional imaging and with instruments that are like chopsticks. And now today in the last 
uh, 11, 12 years, we've been working with robotic surgery. And our program here uh, at Baptist Health is a pioneer in, in the country and the world in regard to robotic bariatric surgery. And robotic surgery is just an advancement of laparoscopic surgery. Now the vision is three-dimensional and the instruments are like fingers and wrists. And that is shown to improve outcomes, uh, decrease length of stay, uh, decrease complications. And that is the way we do it today in our bariatric program. You mentioned three processes, the, um, um, the gastric band, the sleeve gastrectomy, the, uh, the uh, full gastric bypass. It, does a person come in and based on certain qualifications, they're predetermined to have one or the other, or is it really more what the patient expectation is from the surgery? How do you, how do you choose? Yeah, the patient always comes in with an expectation. They already, they already have in their mind that they are, they're going to have a particular operation based on what they've heard, what they've read, experiences of friends and family members. But as the educated professionals in our program, you know, we take a couple factors uh, into account. Number one, we take into the patient's BMI. Uh, we, we consider the patient's eating habits. Uh, we consider their comorbidities. And for just some simple examples, you know, the gastric bypass has the best outcomes in regard to weight loss and in regard to the decreased chance of weight regain. And so when your BMI is very high, you're really going to have to sway into the bypass category. Um, if you're diabetic, uh, di diabetes is best cured with a gastric bypass or controlled with a bypass. And so there again, it depends on your level of diabetes. Are you just on oral medication? Do you need insulin? We have also seen the, the, the longevity of your diagnosis of diabetes can be impacted as well with regard to procedural choice. So yeah, the patient comes in, uh, we give them a very good educated suggestion of what could be best for them because we want to get it right the first time. Though bariatric surgery could be done second and even third time, um, the outcomes are not the same, the complications are higher, and so you want to get the right operation the first time. And so though the patient comes in with a preconceived notion, we try to sway them in, in the best medical surgical opinion uh, based on all these uh, factors that we take into account. Um, again, we're flying through this. The information is great. Um, in the interest of time, I'm going to take some questions from the viewers. We got some good ones um, to Dr. Gonzalez. Tony, is it possible to regain the weight that was lost after bariatric surgery? Yes, I alluded to that, and you alluded to that as well. And that's why it's important to educate the patients preoperatively. It's, it's important that they change their lifestyle because remember, these operations are operations that are trying to change a behavior. And, and as Carmen will tell you, the behavior is not in the stomach, it's in the brain. And if you don't help them uh, reprogram their behavior, they can regain weight. So the uh, chance of failure or the chance of significant re weight regain varies by procedure. The laparoscopic adjustable band has a 55-0% chance of weight regain. The sleeve gastrectomy has a 10 to 20% chance of weight regain. And the bypass has a 5 to 10% chance of weight regain. So, you know, you can see the operations have different uh, chances of failure. And it really depends on educating the patient and putting them in the right operation and obviously give them the correct education preoperatively. So I'm going to ask this one of Carmen, but I'd ask you both the way in, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. If someone has a bariatric surgery, which makes their which makes their stomach smaller, do they eat less, but they're hungry all the time? Or does it actually affect cravings and hunger? Carmen, can you speak to that? Is that, is that a fair question to ask you? I think I can speak on the term as far as the food relationship we make. And I think having this conversation is important to think about. Sometimes it's the first time individuals start to really 
pay attention that the relationship they have with food sometimes can be used to cope with certain emotions. And then that's where the craving factor come in, comes in. So you may be craving sugary food, you may be craving high calorie food, and, and what is the purpose and what is it that you're trying to fulfill? So looking at that relationship with food is important. And at this point, after surgery, you may begin to examine and analyze and then start picking up on triggers and cues as to what is fullness and what is stress and how can I cope with that in a healthy way that isn't um, related to food. Thank you. Tony, anything, anything you want to add? To yeah, that? no, no doubt. I think that's important because I hear patients all the time tell me, you know, in my mind, I'm still an obese individual, but because of the bariatric surgery, uh, you know, now I eat as a thin person. Um, but yes, these operations can control satiety and can control hunger. And for our viewers, satiety is the sense of fullness. You may have hunger um, and when you're, you know, you, you get to a point in the day, but with a sleeve gastrectomy, you're going to feel full very rapidly. Um, and that's early satiety. Um, the sleeve controls hunger in the first few years because a hormone called ghrelin is removed from the body and ghrelin drives hunger, but God is a lot smarter than us and ghrelin is produced in other parts of the body afterwards. And so hunger comes back as a survival mechanism. The bypass does uh, deal with hunger long-term, but patients can have hunger as well. Uh, but, you know, it really has to do with, you know, uh, educating them preoperatively and making sure that they don't, you know, use other mechanisms to deal with the stresses that they have in their life. And that's something that we have seen in regard to going from food to obviously other types of addictions to deal with the, the stresses in their life. And Tony, that actually reminds me of even the visual cue, like afterwards you see a plate and it could be disorienting because your, your diet and the amount of food you're eating changes. So even visual cues like that is something that could be worked on post-surgery. Yes. Carmen, we know that depression is associated with obesity and obesity is associated with depression. Do we see any improvements in depressive symptoms in patients after bariatric surgery or, or quite frankly, any worsening? Can you comment on your experiences? Um, um, in that, in that area? With lifestyle changes, as you move after in recovery and you, if you continue a, a healthy lifestyle when it involves going out, going back to those factors that put you at risk, at greater risk, such as a sedentary lifestyle. So if you change your lifestyle, one that involves more activity and you feel comfortable, there is a way of combating and decreasing the depression symptoms. One thing to also keep in mind is that if you're in a relationship, it's important that as your body changes, as you make this change to also kind of analyze the relationships that you formed with individuals and keep those that you feel are important and helpful for you, because that can also impact your mood and also your progress. Um, Tony, quick question. Um, how long after weight loss surgery can one get pregnant? Yeah, so obviously uh, your, your body is going through a catabolic state, which is you're breaking down all this fat in the first year. And so we recommend uh, several forms of contraception based on the surgical procedure for at least 18 months. Um, and then after 18 months, it's very safe uh, for our viewers, uh, you know, knowledge becoming pregnant when you're morbidly obese at this level of obesity is very dangerous. Um, and most of your uh, obstetricians will, will tell you that um, and, you know, recommend weight loss even before pregnancy. But the moment you get, uh, you have bariatric surgery, uh, you should, got, should not get pregnant for 18 months. And then at that point, it's been 
it's super safe and multiple studies have demonstrated that. That's good to hear. Uh, Carmen, here's, here's an interesting question. Uh, if a couple, um, if there's a couple, both of whom are obese and one decides to get the surgery and the other doesn't, have you seen that affect the relationships at all between the individuals and the psychological journey uh, of change for that individual? Yeah, there's actually a term called bariatric divorce. And there's studies that show that after the procedure, divorce rates actually spike. And going back to the importance of really identifying and monitoring your relationships and the purpose they serve, it's important that as you, as you, in, in, all aspects, but that you're in a healthy relationship. And that includes communicating, supporting each other. So to answer your question, yes. Um, Tony, here's a question that I'm surprised took so long to come up. How safe is the surgery? Yeah, today with the advancement of, um, of laparoscopic surgery and robotic surgery, these operations are very safe. Um, studies have demonstrated that these operations have complication rates similar to a gallbladder removal, a hysterectomy, a hernia repair. And as our viewers know, these are everyday operations. So these, the days of where these operations had, you know, uh, risk of dying, uh, you know, a mortality, a death with these operations is a rarity. Uh, obviously, the age of the patient, the comorbidities, the medical problems the patient has uh, changes um, their risk. And uh, that's why the individualized evaluation is very, very important. And then we can also, uh, we have enough data and a quality collaborative that we participate with many hundreds of programs around the country. We can calculate your, your perioperative risk of a bleeding, infection, death. So, you know, we can give you that to the, to the number. But yeah, these operations are very safe today. To our listeners, remember that you can send us your comments and suggestions for future topics at Baptist Health Talk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. On behalf of everyone at Baptist Health, thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.